following resource is from Welford Baptist Church. Well, grab your Bibles and find the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, and we're going to be in chapter 29 for our message, Unearthing the Truth. One of my favorite restaurants to eat in is Cracker Barrel. When I die, I want our deacons to take a road trip and scatter my ashes in the parking lot of all 623 Cracker Barrel restaurants across the nation. Now, this is on video, okay? It's recorded, so that's my last will and testament regarding that. But while I'm still living, I think about the times that my family's driving down the interstate, and I can see on the highway that sign that says a Cracker Barrel's coming up at one of the next exits. And here's a description of what I often face as I, as I try to get to Cracker Barrel I saw advertised. See if you can identify with this. As we exit the highway and drive down the access road that travels along the frontage, we can't seem to find an entrance to the restaurant. That seems to be so typical of Cracker Barrel. They never have access on the frontage road. Nevertheless, with great perseverance, we begin peering down every side road to see how we can gain an entrance. One wrong turn and two more turns later and finally we wind up in a parking lot and finally come to the entrance to the restaurant. Has anybody else ever had that experience as you're traveling and vacationing and going? Absolutely. If you love the restaurant like I do, you're persistent. And you don't just get a wrong turn and give up and go to Burger King or, or, or some other restaurant. No, you want to get to Cracker Barrel. I thought it might, you know, why don't they have access on the frontage road. I thought it probably saves millions of dollars to set their restaurants behind the expensive frontage road property. But then I thought, wouldn't they be losing millions of customers who find it hard to find them and simply give up? Well, one curious customer actually decided to ask the manager of a Cracker Barrel as he paid his check. And to his surprise, the manager admitted that speculation was absolutely correct. Cracker Barrel does save millions by possessing their restaurants just behind the expensive frontage road. As for losing money, his reply was again surprising. He said, I can assure you we don't lose any business. We're the single most trafficked restaurant in the U.S. We have a proven track record and a loyal following. People who want to find us will always find us. That just goes to show you that you will find what you crave. A principle we see played out in Cracker Barrel every day. Have you noticed it's not always easy for people to find the entrance to the kingdom of God? That's because all the, the easy access has been gobbled up by competing alternatives to the true gospel of Jesus Christ that blocks our way. Nevertheless, the kingdom of God has a loyal following because people will always find it if they find it with all their heart. What we crave, we find. The Lord promised to hear the prayers of his people in our text today. However, the people first had to call upon him with all their heart. And that's why the people had to remain in Babylon. Through the suffering of the exile, the hearts of the people would be made soft and brought to the point that they would sincerely cry out to God for deliverance when they realized they couldn't find deliverance in anyone or anything else. If people were allowed to return to their homeland too soon, their hearts would become stubborn and hard against their God. The people would trust in their own power, their own might, their own flesh to deliver them, and they would continue living wicked lives 
worshiping false gods. Thus God was using the Babylonian captivity to break the people, to to have them in distress so they would beg him for deliverance. Now there's some wonderful lessons that we can learn about our own deliverance in this text. So let's read Jeremiah 29. We're going to read verses 13 and 14. The Bible says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Should be a listening guide in your programs. Let me encourage you to pull that out and write down these truths we're going to look at. The first two truths come from our text here in the Old Testament, and the third one comes from the New Testament. Three steps to unearthing the truth. Number one, allow yourself to be broken as you seek the Lord with all your heart. Look at verse 13 again. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The only way you're ever going to seek God with all your heart is to allow yourself to be broken. Once the people were truly broken before him, he would set them free from their captivity. When their hearts were truly broken before him, he would gather them together and he would bring them back to the promised land. I received an email from Vision Baptist Missions this past week that talked about this kind of brokenness. It described in Bible times how the alabaster box was worth a large sum of money and it was kept safe and it was stored until an appointed day. But the sweet-smelling perfume inside the box could not be appreciated until the container was broken. And that's the way it is with the lives of God's children. You see, no one wants to be broken. No one wants to be uh, hurt. Nobody wants to go through trials. Nobody wants to be uncomforted. But God's amazing grace and glory is seen when we as his children are truly broken. That's not our message in our culture today, is it? It's to remain strong. Never let them see you weak. Always, always be confident. But how do you react when God tries to break you? Maybe instead of, instead of trying to avoid the brokenness, maybe we need to embrace the brokenness. Maybe we need to let go. Maybe God is teaching you and me about humility, dying to self, having full dependence upon Him, crucifying our pride. And so much more. Maybe he's teaching us that we are broken people when we're led to him and trust wholly in him. The biblical way is the way of brokenness. And to constantly seek the Lord with all your heart means that you allow yourself to be broken and you seek him above everything else. Why does God want us to search for him with that kind of intensity? It's not that he's playing hard to get or he's playing games. No, you see, the only way we'll be prepared for eternity is if we're broken now. If we're fully dependent upon him in this world. And that's why he doesn't respond to those who are searching him half-heartedly or lazily. Or have any other gods before him. We hear many sermons about serving God better. But this morning, I want you to join me in trying to understand a little bit better about how to know God better. How to know God deeper. Not just to learn more knowledge about Him, but to know more about our relationship with Him. How we can relate deeply to the one true living God and who He means in our life. Which leads to our second step. 
Your passion to know God intimately must exceed your passion to understand everything about him. God says in verse 14, I will be found by you and I will restore your fortunes and gather you with, from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God says, I'll be found by you. He doesn't mean I'll just be found out about you. doesn't mean you'll find out facts about me. No, he says, I'll be found in a personal, intimate, deep way. And in order to find God, our passion to know him must excel all other passions. We must desire him more than we desire a new car or a better friend or relief from sadness or loneliness or relief from the rejection other people put on us. We must long for God more than solutions to our problems, answers to our questions, more than we even desire becoming a better person, experiencing joy, or having good health. God longs to be known by us far more than we long to know him. And he's tirelessly committed to working on our hearts and our lives until our passion for him is stronger than any other passion. There are many different roadblocks to finding God in this way. One of the greatest can be refusing to believe anything about God except that which we understand and that which appeals to our sinful, fallen flesh. Do you remember playing uh, hide and seek when you were a kid and, and you'd uh, sometimes go looking for somebody and there'd be somebody you knew in your group who was so good at hiding they would find just the right place. They wouldn't make any noise. They wouldn't jump out. They wouldn't reveal their location. And as a result, you carried the full weight of looking for that person. You know, we can sometimes feel this way in our search for God. We set about trying to, to discover for ourselves, independently, what is real truth? What is reality? What, what is the gospel? And it feels as hopeless as searching for a clever child who doesn't want to be found. It makes all the difference when we realize we are looking for the living God. For the person who has revealed himself in scripture. And we know that God has told us all we need to know to find him. It's just up to us to search for him with all our heart. How many times do we reluctantly go to God? Or try to discover things about God. Listen, he's only hidden because we choose not to see him. He's continually calling out our name, directing our, our future. And sometimes we can even be aware of his presence by the power of his Holy Spirit. He promises us if we search for him, we'll find him if we search for him with all our heart. But some of you maybe have been searching for him lukewarmly, if at all. You can search for other things with great passion. You lose your pet and you go looking for where your pet is lost. You uh, want to find the best deal on some purchase, maybe a, a motorcycle. And you'll research that motorcycle and everything about the engine and everything about the dealer and everything about the cost passionately. You'll go looking for just the right product. You can be passionate about video games, fishing, Posting to social media accounts. But somehow, in some way, a passion for God is not something that describes us. How often we can be the wicked and faithless generation that asks for a sign. 
when we can forget that a sign has already been given in his son Jesus. You see, Jesus came to be born of the Virgin Mary so that we might have eternal life. He suffered on the cross in our place. He bled and died, and he rose again and went to be with the Father so that we could have abundant life now and eternal life to come. And finding Jesus and committing our lives to him is the most important thing we could ever do in our lives. Confessing Jesus as Lord and repenting of our sins, listen, will radically change your life. Confessing him daily as followers of Christ will empower us to be able to live holy lives for him. So the next time you feel like screaming, God, why don't you answer my questions? God, why don't you solve my problems? God, why don't you become more obvious to me? Go over and read John 14, where Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you so long? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, so is the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. We have to admit again and again, like Peter, we have nowhere else to go but to Jesus. Convinced that in Christ and Christ alone do we have the words of eternal life. And though often I don't fully understand this myself, I no longer seek to understand so that I may believe. And I believe so that I may understand. We all know you don't have to understand all there is about science in order to flip a switch and make the light come on. And I've learned that if I wait until I understand everything about God, offering him my worship and devotion, I'll never get there. I have to offer him my worship and devotion today based on what little I know. We can take as our motto, Elizabeth Elliot's motto, faith does not eliminate questions, it just knows where to take them. And my search now is for more of God through Jesus because he has breathed life into my soul. And when I wonder desperately how this gospel can reach a lost world, I have to remember it's not my ability, it's not my responsibility, it's just my duty to tell. It's my duty as I'm going to share about God and he does the rest. Thirdly, there's a third step in unearthing the truth and that is we love like Jesus loved Agreeing it's worth the cost. Somebody might think they don't need anybody else. They might think that, well, people just hurt me, so I'm going to avoid relationships and friendships. And sometimes, we could even say oftentimes, people do hurt us. Because we're all flawed. We're all messed up. We're all selfish. We're all sinful in some way. And we do hurt each other. We do and say things even with the best of intentions. But we must come to realize that relationships are worth the cost. Even when people hurt us or we hurt them. We must come to realize we were created to love. Jesus said the second most important thing God requires of us, first one being to love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength, is to love others as we love ourselves. How much are we to love others as much as we love ourselves? That means we care about them as much as we care for ourselves. 
That means we're good to them as much as we're good to ourselves. We love them as much as we love ourselves. When we come to God, he always directs us into a relationship with a church family because we need this kind of environment. We need an environment of other Christians. A lot of people miss out on going to church because they want to go to the perfect church. First of all, there's no such thing. And even if there was, they wouldn't let you and I join, okay? Secondly, there's no opportunity to grow if everyone around you is perfect. Think about it. You don't have any opportunity to forgive. You don't have any opportunity to to build those relationships. One of the dangers of a big group like this one is you can get lost in the crowd. People may not miss you when you're not there. You may say hey to somebody, but you don't really carry on a, a deep relationship or conversation. But in life group, in a small group, that is where you find accountability. That is where you find relatability. And that is where you find an opportunity to work on your people skills. Too many times, if someone's offended, they just move on. Somebody doesn't meet their needs. But in a small group, you have an opportunity to grow in your relationship to Christ and with one another. And we need to realize we were created to love God and love others. But oh, how serving God by serving others and loving God by loving others is so hard sometimes. In his commentary, Christ-Centered Exposition, Tony Marita gives a great illustration of this. Listen. I remember hearing a story about a pastor in New York. A woman in the congregation said to him, Pastor, we need more signs and wonders. We just haven't seen enough signs and wonders. The pastor responded, Ma'am, over there sits a lady who has been evicted from her apartment with her children. I would consider it a sign and wonder if you would take her into your home to live with you for three months. George Bell once said, you can pretend to care, but you can't pretend to show up. And that's what we were created for, to show up, to love others, to serve others, and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So to find fulfillment in life is to cultivate a loving heart for God, a loving heart for others, one that praises Him and serves Him in serving others. Now for some personal application. If you want to discover real meaning and purpose in life, part of every believer's job is to help other believers learn how to be content. God desires for us to have a right understanding of who Jesus is and learn how He's at work in our lives and be content with that. He wants us to be mature and grown up in our, in our view of him and the way he's at work and what he's doing. And when you read the four Gospels of the New Testament, listen, you never see Jesus unsatisfied or discontent. And you've been given a part in some way of helping God to accomplish the work of leading people into that kind of contentment. But to start with, somehow in some way, you have to learn to be content yourself. It might be demonstrated by how you talk to other people about other people. You can show contentment when you have car trouble on the road and you don't blow a gasket yourself trying to get it fixed. Another way to show contentment might simply be to sitting in a life group and letting others see your heart is satisfied. But of course, you have to truly be content and not just fake it because people will see right through that. We falsely think that if we could just be a little richer 
then we could be a little more content. Unfortunately, only one half of 1%, that's 0.5% of the American population, will ever join the exclusive club known as the super rich. In a nation of wealth and plenty, this small group enjoys extreme wealth and tremendous influence. Although only making up one half of 1%, the super rich own a full 50% of the overall wealth. So great is their, are their riches that they tend to be set apart from the rest of us. They run in small exclusive circles and they live and play in places that you and I would never gain entrance into. So let's just dream a little bit for a moment. Will you join me? What if all we had to do to join the 0.5% of the richest of the rich was to simply want it? We just desired it. We just wished it. That wouldn't be much of an obstacle, right? I mean, we could all do that. If desiring to be super rich was the only criteria for becoming super rich, few would hesitate to accept the power and prestige enjoyed by this elite class of people. Instead of being the exception, extreme wealth would instantly become the average. It would become the norm. Now, let's all come back to reality, okay? Unfortunately, most of the factors that make it possible to become super wealthy are beyond our control. There are people who are born into an elite family, who are blessed with an unusual talent, who happened on to some kind of right set of circumstances at the right time, etc. Even in America, the desire, just simply the desire to be super rich, the, the 0.5%, we fail at it all the time. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ sat down on a hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee and he spoke of a far richer kingdom and along with it a far greater opportunity for us all. In this kingdom, the complications that prevent 99.5% of us from realizing that kind of richness doesn't apply. You don't have to be born into the right family. You don't have to go to the right Ivy League schools to be accepted. You don't have to strike oil and become rich. No, all you have to do is follow Jesus. I wonder if God makes little sense to us sometimes. And therefore, in our confusion, we hold him at a distance. Because we have a hard time relating to that truth. Do you see him? As a stern, uninvolved father who gets angry and upset when you don't meet his expectations? Do you see God as a, as a type of vending machine where you put in your request, I'm, help me on this exam, Lord, take away this problem, help this person like me, or for anything else that might help you get through your day? If you've known God for a long time, you've discovered like I have that problems don't always go away. For the Christian life turns out to be sometimes no more easier or no more painful than those who do not know him. When we're honest, there's little difference a lot of times between the circumstances of believers and the circumstances of those who don't call themselves believers. Christians can be, can be wounded and have low self-esteem as much as those who have never responded to Christ. Dr. Larry Crabb in his book, Finding God, asked the questions... How can an unmarried man or woman struggling with loneliness find God? How can a bereaved parent enjoy God's goodness? How can a bankrupt businessman with a large family to provide for know God? How can an intellectual rationalist be satisfied with the truth found in Jesus 
And how can a discouraged, confused, and unmotivated teenager find enough confidence in God to continue living? I believe the only thing that can help you and I answer those questions accurately is to find God's purpose for our life and come to a profound understanding that He can be trusted when we don't even understand all of our circumstances. You were made to love God and to love other people the way God loves them. And as such, it's impossible to find meaning in life as a believer if you do not hurt when others hurt. It's a fact that hurt people hurt people. They usually dislike themselves and they criticize others in a misguided effort to build themselves up. And if one of these types of persons lobs a criticism grenade at you, diffuse it by being Christ-like. Showing compassion, showing kindness, showing understanding. This doesn't mean that you have to compromise your convictions. You don't have to admit to wrongdoing when you've done nothing wrong. It just means that part of considering the source is seeking awareness of what the other person may be going through. Craig Rochelle shares that one time I was praying during worship a few moments before preaching, eyes closed, focusing on God. I felt someone slip a note into my hand. I never saw who it was with my eyes closed, but the note was marked personal. I thought to myself, someone probably wrote a nice note to encourage me before I preach. A warm, loving feeling settled over me as I unfolded the paper. A moment later, I lost that loving feeling. (laughs) Evidently, the note was from a woman who tried to see me on Friday, my day off. She took offense at my absence and blasted me with hateful accusations. This happened literally seconds before I started to preach. In that moment, I had a choice. I could internalize the offense and become demoralized and discouraged. Or I could ask myself, I wonder what she's experiencing that caused her to lash out this way. He adds this, I chose compassion over depression. My heart hurt for her. I knew that such a disproportionate reaction must indicate deep pain, so I didn't take her note personally. Consider the source and consider the possibility that the insult may have come from an injured heart. Dismiss it and move on. Listen, if you don't, you may become the very thing you despise. Someone asked John Wesley's mother, which of your 11 children do you love the most? Her answer was as wise as the question was foolish. She said, I love the most the one who's sick until he's well, and the one who's away until she comes home. That's God's outlook to a suffering world. He feels the pain of others. He hurts when others hurt. As children of God, do we? God gave this succinct summary of the life of King Josiah. He judged the cause of the poor and needy, then it was well. And then he gives this important postscript. Is not this to know me? We become far more interested in finding ourselves than in finding God. The church has become aware that that beneath joyful fellowship, many people suffer from discontentment, depression, loneliness, not liking God, not liking themselves, and not liking others. And it shows in the way 
They treat themselves and treat others. But Jesus invites us to come as we are, pretending about nothing, being transparent, being authentic, feeling our pain, admitting our anger, longing to satisfy our souls with knowing Jesus in a more intimate way. I believe that God is good. I believe he's loving. And I believe he wants the best for all of us. And so often, God does relieve our suffering. He takes away our pain. He solves our problems because he cares about us deeply. But his much better gift is something far better than all those things. I've said today that we need to find God by desiring him with all our heart. More than the answers to our questions, more than the solutions to our problems, more than the relief from our, our pain. So we need to ask ourselves, are we just living out our days? Or are we living and walking with God? Can we get so immersed in our problems that we forget there are other people who have far greater problems than our own? Are we committed to knowing God and to seeing his much larger plan for our lives? Or are we just committed to knowing more about God? Augustine challenges us to picture God as saying to us, my child, why is it that day by day you rise and pray, sometimes even shed tears, while you say to me, my father, give me wealth? If I were to give it to you, you would think yourself of some importance. You would fancy that you have gained something very great because you asked for it. You have it. Ask of me better things than these. Greater things. Ask of me spiritual things. Ask of me myself. Johnny Erickson Tata says her teenage prayers consisted mainly of requests to lose a few pounds, to get through her homework without going crazy with boredom, or for the latest guy she was in love with to return the love to her. Until one night when she was home without a date and suffering from a new pimple on her chin. That night she prayed, God, just do something. I don't care what happens. I'm just sick and tired of being miserable. A month later, she dove into shallow water and broke her neck. She strangely knew she was experiencing the answer to her prayer. Her health and all her hopes and dreams were shattered. But in having God only and none of those other things, she has become a most beautiful Christ-like lady who has a contagious love for God, a love for life, and also she is more content than she's ever been. Someone said, those who have God and everything else have no more than those who have God only. And those who have everything else and not God have nothing. So let me challenge you to unearth the truth about God, who he is, what he's done for you, and how you can only find true peace and contentment in him. I dare you to ask a risky prayer, God, just do something in my life. Because if you do, he might answer you and show you how to be more content and satisfied and happy than you've ever been. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our church, visit welfarechurch.org. Blessings.